Welcome to the Culture Design Show, where we feature conversations with leaders and thinkers who are passionate about culture and design. Now, let's get started with the show. This podcast is brought to you by Culture Design Studio. This is where I help creative organizations transform their cultures from being controlling to being collaborative. Now, here are some of the things that I've learned. Your creative talent demands a co-creative culture in order to produce their best work. But there's a problem. So let's see if you can recognize some of these signs. There's no framework to move your culture forward. You have high turnover and low morale. There's increasing toxicity across all levels. There's team engagement and satisfaction that are on the decline. There's a misalignment between the employer brand and the employee experience. And there's poor communication about expectations and values. So if you want to learn more about how I provide facilitation and coaching for your creative team, reach out to me at culturedesignstudio.com. Our guest today is Brett Putter. He is an expert in company culture development and has consulted companies and leaders worldwide on how to design, build, and develop a strong functional company culture. He is the CEO of Culture Gene, a culture leadership platform helping high growth companies build strong, functional cultures. I like the sound of that. Also, Brett has just launched his second book, Own Your Culture, How to Define, Embed, and Manage Your Company Culture. Brett, welcome to the show. Steve, thanks very much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our chat today. Well, as, as we were just talking uh, just before we press record, you have made this big leap uh, to taking your family from the UK over to Portugal. And you just probably hours ago got your internet set up. So this is like fortuitous for us. Congratulations for, for making that move. <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah, um, I, I, I didn't expect to get it today. So I was really pleased. And we're Going as I mentioned, we're going down. We're going into lockdown tomorrow. So um, if I hadn't gotten I'd, got it today, I don't know what have happened. But um, yeah, it's uh, Portugal's a little warmer, a little sunnier, and um, just a, we. My wife and I wanted wanted to change for a couple of years, so um, we've uh, headed to to Lisbon. Well, speaking of lockdown, I have this is my remote studio in my home. And uh, for those that are listening throughout the podcast, you may hear some noises in the background on my end. It's actually trash day and I didn't realize it. So if you hear any noise in the background, that's may uh, that's probably what it is. But let's go get on with this show. Brett, I'd love to hear about your professional journey. Uh, You know, I I think that culture is a huge passion and I might even call it a, a my life calling. Uh, how do you view company culture and how did you land on that as your focus uh, in your work? Yeah, so I, um, prior to setting up Culture Gene, I ran an executive search firm uh, for 16 years and I helped uh, high growth early stage companies build their teams anywhere between Moscow and San Francisco. So we were internationally focused, typically working with uh, venture capital backed companies. And about five years ago now, I was lucky enough to work with three CEOs who all had a very clear understanding of their culture. And I was tasked with the mandate was find me, find us candidates who match the skills, the experience, but also match the values of the company. Mm. 
And I'd ne never done this before. Yeah. So it was a much, much harder search to do. It's hard enough to find good candidates, yeah. but now finding good candidates that match and you've got to prove they match. So it took us much longer to do, but the outcomes of the interview process and the way that unfolded and then the impact that the candidates made on those companies demonstrated to me that this was this was the missing link. There was mm. uh, Initially, I thought it was the missing link for startups um, because they don't have enough time to work on this stuff and they don't really have the experience of working on it often. But it turns out this is the missing link for most companies. And I just, I, I just, I was so blown away by the way the candidates and the CEOs and the, and the interviewers interacted um, and where you could see the values fit was so clear. It was like, okay, wow, I've got to get out, get, get to really understand this. So that's when I started researching um, everything to do with culture, interviewing the CEOs I've interviewed and leaders I've interviewed, writing the books, podcasts, blogs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's it, sort of four years ago is where it really, I decided to focus 100% on company culture development. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I mean, I, I say that that's right because I, I, it is a unique thing to ask an executive search uh, professional to provide a, a cultural fit. And I think, I think even that that word cultural fit has, you know, maybe different meanings for different people because I think sometimes it's that cultural fit is more based on personality. Uh, in many cases, whether there's a personality fit and whether the personalities of, of uh, that individual and leaders at the company mesh together. But when you actually focus it more on values, that is their value alignment, that's a, that's a much deeper conversation. What are some of the things that, uh, that you noticed that came out of those either one conversations or even those placements? Yeah, so, so that's actually a great point. I actually believe that culture fit is impossible. It's impossible to hire for culture fit. Because culture fit really is your gut instinct working, and it's it's very subjective. Everybody has their own gut instinct about a candidate, and I I just don't believe you can do it effectively and on a, scalably for high growth companies. But when when we start working on values fit, what how we do it is we take a a value, we define the expected behaviors against that value. So let me take you through this as an example. Teamwork. The problem with the word teamwork is lots of people can interpret it in different ways. One person can say um, it's a group of people working together for a common goal. I might say teamwork to me means the team comes first. Mm. We're talking about the same thing, but there's a yeah. slight difference. And yeah. actually, we could make different decisions based on exactly the same input. So, so what we do is we define what those values mean. And then we build interview questions against those behaviors that we've defined. So to give you an example, if it was my company, teamwork was the value. The expected behavior was the team always comes first. The interview question is, when last did you take one for the team and mm. why? Yeah, so good. And now you're, you're, you're focusing on an exact action, when it happened, what it was, what the impact was. And you could interview somebody for 20 minutes just on that question. Mm-hmm. And then you, if you ask each candidate exactly the same question, then you're in a position to evaluate them based on vividness and based on believability. Mm -hmm. And now you can score those candidates. So that, that point about going to values fit, we, we, we worked on, we didn't have it perfect in those first searches because we were still working it out. But it's something that I've really perfected now with Culture Gene to really get right. And we even, you know, the, the job we did was an awesome job as, as headhunters for those first three clients that were really focused on culture. 
But since then, we've taken this to a, a whole new level in terms of really getting under the skin of the candidate and being being able to compare candidates directly against similar questions. So, so many questions are pouring into my mind, but I'm going to reserve them until we talk about your book in a moment, uh, because I think there are so many, uh, I think th- what we've just been talking about right now is focused more on the on the recruiting side of things. Uh, and I'd love to hear how that translates to the entire uh, employee experience or culture in general. But before we do that, I'd love to learn a little bit more about Culture Gene. Give us an overview of what you folks do at Culture Gene. Yeah, so what we do is typically work with a little bit later stage startup and high growth companies. And these are companies that have maybe got to 25 30, 40, 50, maybe up to 100 people. And those companies are now realizing that they, first of all, the CEO understands that culture is really important, but they don't know how to implement it. They don't know what to do. They may have done some work on their values and their mission and their vision, but that it's it's just, it's not, it's not moving from there. So what we do is we have a three-stage process where we either define or refine the values, mission, and vision of the company. And then we embed those into the leadership team, the functions and the processes of the business. And that, for example, is a really deep process where we will, we will take individuals, individual leaders, and give them a framework as to how to lead their, lead their team through the lens of culture, mm. through the lens of values and living the values. And then the third stage is where we essentially teach the company how to manage their culture. Mm. So it's define, embed, and manage. And this ranges, we work with with our clients for three months to 12 months Mm. and sometimes longer because you can't embed these changes that we're making at the CEO level down over a weekend Mm -hmm. or over a month. It takes takes a bit of time. So that's really what we do. Um, I built some software. um, Not me personally, I'd be dangerous with that, but (laughs) we built some software um, that actually mirrors the process so that um, I, I was actually approached by two remote companies 18 months ago saying, can you help us define, you know, work on our culture? And I realized I couldn't because they don't, they're not in the same room. They're not in the right. same office together. Yeah. So I built, I built the software for distributed teams because mm. I saw an opportunity coming down the line. <laughs> I didn't expect this pandemic to happen, yeah. um, but it's really, you know, it's, 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 it's allowed us to, really accelerate the way we service our clients because we've got a digital process that is in place of me or one of my colleagues being in the room. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really fascinated by your focus specifically on startups and high growth companies. Why is it that you have chosen to niche down to that audience? So it's an audience I know very well and that helps, but actually the main reason is because they do not have years and years of bad habits, mm. bad behaviors that, that, have, that have set in. And I don't have to do so much undoing in the process. You always have, you know, culture is this random combination of, of good and bad behaviors, habits, rituals, communication styles, beliefs, principles, uh, collaboration styles, et cetera, et cetera. But it's good and bad. And the bad gets the bad because you're moving so quickly and you, you it's not such a big issue when there's a small team, a bad habit or a bad behavior really comes to roost and becomes an issue when the team grows to 30, 40, 50 people or 100 people. So what we try and do is is work with startups because they don't have as many and it's not as embedded. Those, those behaviors are not as embedded. 
And it's often the impediments to their success. And they kind of know it's happening. Mm -hmm. They know they have issues with their culture. They sort of have this feeling about it, but they don't know what to do about it. And when we walk, that's one of the things we do is we very much surface the impediments to them achieving their culture, um, optimal culture capabilities. Yeah, I like what you're saying that they, I think they instinctively or at least intuitively understand that there's challenges, that there are gaps, that there are things that need to be fixed. And I think sometimes as you've, you know, even defined in your framework, uh, I think even before, even before define is to understand, like to, like the awareness about what's going on and then to define, uh, and it's almost like you're able to shape and mold uh, the young Padawan uh, company uh, in, a, in a way because they, they are hungry to learn and hungry to do things right. I, I think for me, there, uh, it, the reason why I'm interested in the startup and high growth focus of yours is because I have seen that that is one of two major points of inflection in the life stage of a company. There is that one where there's high growth. And I think in the area of the companies is seeing um they're able to scale the experience for their customers, but often the culture is lagging behind. They haven't learned how to scale their culture. The other point of inflection is we think of it as a bell curve. That's the front end of the bell curve. The, the, the down end of the bell curve I've seen as those mature companies that have seen success, but are failing to respond to the changing landscape of the market, even the talent market, and they're, they're losing their effect on customers and consequently, if they don't change, they're actually depreciating the employee experience as well. But to your point, those more mature companies are probably going to have already embedded in them some of those bad behaviors. And it's going to be much harder to turn those ships um, yeah. rather than sort of the more nimble and agile uh, startups and high growth companies. Exactly. The, the, there's a lot less politics that I have to deal with. There's a lot less... Um, People and I and I've I've gone through this experience, so I know I you know it's it's there's a lot of banging your head against the wall because everybody knows you you know everybody knows that you could be encroaching on their thing and their their area and what do you want to change and why do you want to change it I just can't you know <laughs> I, I actually I go so far as to say that I will only work with companies that I that I I like mm. and resonate with the CEO. Mm. Because I work, I, we, we change that process. We change a lot of the way the CEO operates, the way the CEO leads yeah. from a communication point of view, from a process point of view, from a, um, a reward and recognition point of view, et cetera, et cetera. So I, you know, I've, I, I wouldn't, for example, um, this also has happened to me in the past, but I was, I was palmed off to the COO mm. to deliver this program. <laughs> and then when I went back to the CEO and said, well, now you've got to do this and you've got to change that. You said, "Oh, whoa, 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 I don't like this. This is, this, you know." Yeah. Uh, and and so there was a disconnect there, and I learned from that mistake as well. But I think I think that the the startups are are you're right. They're agile. They're hungry. Um, they the way I the way I look at it is as it's almost like having loose nuts on 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 your on the wheel on the on the mm-hmm. wheel of your yeah. car. Yeah. When you're going slowly, it doesn't make such a big difference. But if you're going 150 miles an hour and one of those wheels come off, comes off, you're dead. Sounds like you've described my car. <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, one of the things, so about those founders and those visionary leaders of these startups, because they are visionaries, right? They're creating something from almost nothing. Uh, I, I'd love to hear about what has been your experience in sort of the inner journey uh, that these uh, CEOs and founders need to undergo, because I've always subscribed to the idea that if 
uh, a leader wants to see change in their companies, they must undergo that change first. What are your thoughts about how what you have seen in regards to the inner journey of, of CEOs as they go through this process? Yeah, I would I, I would absolutely agree that the CEOs got to understand that they that they and their organization and the way they operate needs needs to change. Um, what I've I've seen that there are originally four CEO archetypes, and I've now added a fifth one um, because of this pandemic. But basically, the first CEO was didn't doesn't care about culture. Culture irrelevant. I'm just going to drive the business forward the way I want to drive it. The second CEO is what I call the dip the toe in the water CEO, and they've tried something. It kind of they know it's important. They've tried a couple of things, but it hasn't really stuck. The third type of CEO is the tick box CEO, and they do it as a tick box exercise, and then they forget about it. Mm. And then the fourth type is the CEO gets it, gets understands how to embed it a little bit, and then and then develops it from there. And that's the the sort of culture aware CEO. And I found that the first type and the third type, the 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 the, the tick box exercise, and the first type, which is the sort of culture agnostic CEO, they've got to go through a lot of pain. Mm. Before before they realize that, and often they are they are either too arrogant or too oblivious to realize that they have high turnover partly because of their culture. They lose, you know, they 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 have poor behavior because of their culture. They and and they are often ultimately the the reason for that behavior because you know we 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 look up to our leaders. So I I prefer to work with the, the other two where they've mm. tried something, understand how important it is, and need the help already want to accelerate it. Um, so, so do you do an assessment uh, in your dis- discovery process or your sales process to determine where that CEO kind of fits along that matrix? Yeah, yeah. I have a I have a fairly in-depth conversation with the, <laughs> the CEO. I I in my previous life, as I said, I was a headhunter. So I interviewed the hell out of the CEO yeah. actually. Um, because I, I don't want to be three or four months down the line and realize that this person doesn't like the way I work or I don't like the way they work and it's not going to work. So, you know, if if the best type of CEO for me is the CEO who I will I will say to them, this is what I'd like you to do and this is how I'd like you to do it. And they'll say yes to that, but this isn't going to go, this isn't going to land for our company. Let's work out how we do it slightly differently. And so they push back when they need to push back. They understand that that we need to try things. They understand that things may not always work but they they are proactive towards moving the culture forward i completely agree that uh, culture needs culture change needs to begin at the top with the ceo but let's say that you are approached by say a department uh, let's say a vp that is over presiding over a certain function within the company and they say we want to improve the culture in say marketing I am uh, the CMO. I want to kind of change the culture in in marketing. What are the pros and cons of that type of work? Because uh, some people might say, well, let's let's start small. Let's gain some wins. And then let's kind of spread the uh, the success like wildfire fire from there. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so I, I will still interview the CMO about the CEO. And about the the actual the the actual culture of the company because that's going to come out anyway. Yeah. And so understanding what the actual culture of the company is and understanding what the CMO wants to change the culture to be will allow me to work out a is it realistic? You know these impediments 
the, the impediments may be too great. How big is the team that we're going to be working with and how big is that in relation to the rest of the organization? And can we fit a, is there a possibility to put a moat around the team or like a barrier a, mm. a barrier around the team? I've actually done this for a, for a, a company um, that uh, there's a very large wealth management bank in the UK called LGT Vestra. And one of their departments, the, one of their departments came to me and said, we're a little bit of a sort of, entrepreneurial bunch and we want you to come and help us with our culture and um, because the CEO was really good at deflecting and the CEO created the space the, the actually sorry this is the CEO of the division created the space for the team um, we actually got it right but I we spent a lot of time working out where this could fail and working out how the mothership could impose um, negative negative restrictions on the environment and once I realized that there would be issues, but we would be able to overcome them. And they weren't you know, huge um, deal breakers for me. Then we, we we went ahead and did that. Yeah, that's very interesting because I, I do see that many times, uh, whether, you know, as leaders start to grow their respective areas of responsibility, there is this desire. And sometimes uh, they will say, well, if we can't get this work to be kicked off at the company-wide level, I want to just move forward with my own department. Uh, and there's obviously some good uh, good things about that, but also some uh, maybe some unintended con- consequences that can come from that as well. I want to now move to your book. This is your second book. It's Own Your Culture. And the, the subtitle is How to Define, Embed, and Manage Your Company Culture. What compelled you to write this book? So I, I realized... Having done, having researched culture and 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 having got sort of under the skin of company culture, I realized that nobody had written a book, a, a tactical book, about company culture. What I mean by that is, a lot of books are written theoretically about company culture or about Southwest Airlines or about Zappos, rest in peace, Tony, mm-hmm. or about um, Nordstrom, but this is many years after the hard work is done. So it looks like it looks like a really polished thing. But actually, when you're in the trenches building a company, it's damn hard to do yeah. because you're yeah. trying to survive on the one hand, but you also know you need to invest in this because this is critical. And so I, I decided that I wanted to write a book on what companies do tactically every day and how they learn and where they fail and where they succeed. And I have a pretty good network um, in the tech industry. So I knew I could call on people that I knew who would then be able to introduce me to, to other companies and other people and other leaders who I could interview. And so the interviewing did many things. It gave me the content for the book, but it also gave me the insight on how to build out my process, how to improve mm-hmm. my process. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, writing, writing, the, the, writing the blogs to write the book gave me the knowledge and 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 the insight that I have and it's you know it's it's priceless in terms of that exercise it's it's not priceless because actually it it really took it out of me this book broke <laughs> me twice wow um, this book really really sorted me out um I'm not a very good writer it's like I've mentioned in the book I say it's like walking wading through um, knee mud in waders while wrestling an anaconda and being chased mm. by a crocodile um, <laughs> or an alligator. It's just not nice, but you've got to, I, you know, I just had to push through. And that's really the reason why I, I felt that, that 
There were great books written about culture, but I felt that nobody had written a book where I could pick it up and read a chapter about onboarding, then see see seven or eight examples of how companies onboard. Mm. Read a chapter about diversity and inclusion and see how companies do diversity inclusion and how companies look at your diversity inclusion and what they're doing on a day-to-day basis, what they're testing, what they what they're exploring and experimenting with, and what's working and what's not. I think this is, you know, being able to open a book and say, okay, I'm going to try this with my company next week is a really powerful thing to, to be mm. able to do. Yeah. So I noticed you said that you wrote the blogs to write the book and that you uh, conducted interviews. Give us a little more color around what that looked like in terms of, I, I remember hearing in a video uh, interview of, with you uh, in the past, you said that you actually interviewed a lot more uh, CEOs than you might have cited in the book. What was that process like, other than being arduous and breaking you twice? <laughs> <laughs> well, the interviews were the fun bit, actually, because because the people who the the leaders who are who who have really invested in their culture are incredibly incredibly generous with their time and incredibly generous with their knowledge. They that was that was the if all I if all I I should have really just interviewed leaders, you know, and then got somebody else to write the book because mm-hmm. I loved that part of it. Mm-hmm. But essentially, yeah. what what happened is I I hit my head up my network and I spoke to a couple of people and they said, well, go and speak to Jackie. She's running a great culture and go speak to Bob and he's running a great culture. And I had a list of questions that basically allowed me to get deeper and deeper into the onion of company culture. Mm. So starting at what are your values, mission, and vision? You know, what do you do to reward and recognize those? What are you measuring against them? How are you developing it on training, learning and development and so on? And, and, and the thing is, I could. I only ended up including fifty plus, just a little bit over fifty leaders, because the majority of companies had not done a good job of defining and embedding their culture. Mm-hmm. Right. As soon as I got below the first level of values or mission or vision, and started really digging into the onion and asking them about how they were embed, how they were embedding their culture, what they were doing and how they were thinking about it as leaders, what frames works they were using. It, people would, leaders would go, no, 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 we're, we're, that's, you know, we do a little bit of employee of the month stuff, but not much more than that, but our culture is really great. And that, you know, that, that is a dangerous place to be because you don't really know what good or bad is because it's, you know, it's, 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 it's the first layer. And so I only, one out of every 10 companies, has had to speak to over 500 leaders mm, wow. to interview just over 50. So wow. that's really the that was that was the the the, the eye opener for me of the opportunity and the challenge because it's mm-hmm. it's a, it's about education it's about people understanding what culture is and people understanding how critically important it is because if 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 ninety percent of companies out there have not done a good job of of company culture then there you know there is there's something is wrong in the system. Right. And, and that's uh, what you just cited is essentially what uh, is the premise, as I understand it, of the book. It says uh, you write on, on your LinkedIn profile, it says company culture is one sustainable competitive advantage that a CEO has complete control over. Yet only one out of 10 leaders have invested in developing their culture. That's right. 90% of leaders have not invested in their culture, not because they don't want to, but because they don't know how to. That's the premise of the book. That's the premise of the book. In other words, I the, the aim of the book is to explain how to do it and and to to use those examples of startups in the trenches fighting the battles um, to to demonstrate it. 
And the interesting, interesting fact about that sort of the 10% is only half of those companies have done a really good job of it. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's less than one, it's less than one out of 10 has done a really good job, frankly, but they're all working on it. They're all developing on it. Then the companies I interviewed know how important it is. So, you know, you've, you, it's, it's, Culture, culture for me, my, my mission is to help turn company culture into a recognized business function. Yes. In, the, in the same way that sales, marketing, or finance is, if you went to your investors and said, we're not going to do anything on, on finance for a couple of months, we're going to, you know, we, we just ignore finance for three or four months and deal with these other things, your investors would fire you as a CEO of a company. But you can theoretically do that with culture, and you shouldn't be able to. It shouldn't be possible. Culture should be managed in the same way that sales is managed or engineering is managed in the sense that you measure it, you've got your outcomes, you've got your agreed objectives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's my, so my goal, my aim is to create that in the world of work. Yeah, it seems to me that if people were to understand that uh, culture can be a lever, that if you optimize that leverage, all of these other functions will be literally exponentially more profitable, more productive, because you've you've satisfied the inner workings or you've addressed the inner workings. And if, you know, it's like a, the human body. If uh, there's any one system in the human body that is out of, uh, out of, is not functioning well, then there is dis-ease or disease in, in the entire body. Mm. And so if you can address the operating system uh, that is culture, Everything else will work that much better, and I and I think uh, too many times they don't think of it as well. Where does that fall on my P and L? It, it doesn't produce revenue. Uh, it doesn't, you know. Well, it actually does, but it, it, you just can't quantify it in a, in a very direct way. And that, and that's my job. So the book is the first step in that. In that, well, the second step because the process is the first step, but the book is the second step of educating people around what to do, and then the third step is going to be around measurement measuring, not measuring engagement, engagement is one piece of the puzzle, but actually measuring your culture from the, the, the whole of your culture. And that's, that's, that's really what my task is. So let's talk about three takeaways that we can get from the book. And I'm going to read one, understand the consequences of the good and bad decisions that affect culture and the techniques to deal with them. Let's, let's address that uh, briefly. What, what does that mean? So what that means is, if you get if you look at companies that are doing a really great job building a strong functional culture, once they get close to doing a really excellent job on it, they're able to look at the decisions that they're making and go, does this match our values? Does this decision match our values or not? And if it doesn't match our values, we should either, if we decide to, if we decide to take this decision, we should either change our values or reevaluate what we're doing with our values. So, so the good and bad decision-making if you've got a well-defined, strong, functional culture, you're able to, your, your whole team knows what's expected of them. They know how to live it. They are consciously aware of what the culture is and how they're delivering against that culture. And they are consciously aware of making decisions that match up with the values and behaviors expected by the business. If you, if you make the wrong decision, you learn from it. And if you behave the wrong way, you're often called out on it because mm -hmm. your team don't want that. So mm -hmm. it's about decision-making and it's about behaviors and it's about being able to recognize because you have such a strong framework around culture, it's about being able to recognize if we make this decision, 
we're going against our values and there are going to be serious, serious, serious knock-on effects against this decision. But if we have to do it, then we have to change our culture, which may yeah. mean we lose half of our people. Absolutely. And I think uh, that's one culture as a re- as a, as a ref- as it addresses values, but I think sometimes even just in general, when you decide on a strategy, and then you make a decision that is contrary to that strategy because it's opportunistic, mm-hmm. then either one, do you change your strategy, or two, do you not pursue that opportunity? And I think the same thing uh, applies here with culture. Um, uh, so that's just maybe one example that comes to my head because yeah, yeah. I've been uh, in you know business leading business development at at a firm that I was at before, and that was one of the things that I would try to address is that whenever we pursued an opportunity that went against our strategy, uh, I, I had to really, you know, try to hold the line of uh, what, what that we were really all about. And, and that definitely applies to culture as well. So another takeaway is uh, develop a checklist of decisions and activities that will strengthen your culture and thereby your business. What are some additional thoughts there? So culture is this um, challenging, invisible, subconscious, and intangible beast that lives below the surface mainly. <laughs> but and and it is, and the best leaders bring it to the surface and make it conscious, tangible, and visible. But actually, the interesting thing is, culture is relatively simple to embed. There are only six ways to embed company culture, and mm. this is the checklist I talk about for leaders. The six ways to embed culture is are what, how do you reward and recognize. What do you measure and pay attention to? Where do you invest and allocate your resources? What are you doing with regards to training, learning, and development? How do you behave in crisis situations? And how do you hire, fire, and promote? So if you, if you take that, those six points and you go, okay, how, how, how am I, what am I rewarding and recognizing as a leader? Am I rewarding and recognizing behaviors that, that fit the values of the business? Or am I rewarding and recognizing behaviors that don't? If I reward and recognize politics, mm. um, if I if I if I promote somebody who's who's political and backstabbing, then it, then the rest of the organization have to going to have to adapt and become political and backstabbing to uh, to to be like that. So it's the same. What are you measuring and, and paying attention to? If you measure the wrong details or you don't measure anything at all, it shows that you don't care. If you don't hire and and and, and against values, and you don't fire when people don't live the values. So this is, this is a really simple checklist. There are only six points against it, but if you have a clear understanding of what your culture is and what your values are, you can look at your, this, this checklist and your values and go, aha, this is the right decision. This is the wrong decision once again. So it's a, it's a really simple element of the book to go and say, okay, this is a six-point a six framework to help me lead in a different way. Well, uh, as much of a culture nerd as I am, uh, the way you've laid that out and, you know, to be able to place it in a framework like that, I've realized there's so much more for me to learn uh, about the culture. And, you know, especially in, you know, to, to say these are the six ways to embed culture. That's a fascinating thing and such a valuable resource for leaders out there, because I think that's the type of things that they are looking for help on is like, OK, I understand that I need to define it. And maybe we've done some work around defining it, but the real work happens when you actually want to embed it. Mm-hmm. And then thereafter, as you say, to manage it as well. So I'm, I'm really excited about our conversation. This has been really, really helpful. I encourage people 
to reach out uh, to you uh, and and get some more information, but to definitely read your book. Uh, folks, we've been talking to Brett Putter, CEO of Culture Gene, and he is the author of Own Your Culture, How to Define, Embed, and Manage Your Company Culture. So I definitely want folks to get that book. But uh, Brett, if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? They can find me on LinkedIn, Steve, um, and I'm on Twitter. But if people want to reach out to me directly, I'm I spend 20% of my time learning. I'm I'm a student of culture. I'm I'm a servant to culture because it's this this is this incredible learning opportunity. So people want to reach out to me, they can drop me an email at Brett at culturegene.ai. Um, that's culture G-E-N-E.ai. And you know, I'm happy to talk, I'm happy to shoot the breeze and just explore culture and what people are doing. My um it's my passion, it's my life's work. As, 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 as you were saying, and as you can relate. So I'm really happy to talk to people and, and uh, yeah, please do reach out. Well, thank you, Brett. Thank you for coming on to the show. Steve, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Culture Design Show. We'll see you again next time. Be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes. And while you're at it, feel free to leave a review of the podcast. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.